You are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. My co-host today is Cindy Johnson, award-winning volunteer for Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses and executive director of the Arizona branch of Lighthearted. Hi, Cindy. <laughs> Hi, Jeremy. Hello, everyone. I've got a, I've got a lot of titles lately. <laughs> So in a few minutes, we're going to hear an interview about a new book on haunted lighthouses and other haunted places on the New Jersey shore. Uh, So I'm wondering, uh, I think I kind of know the answer to this, but what's your opinion on this subject, Cindy? Do you you think it's possible for a lighthouse to be haunted? Well, even though I haven't personally experienced anything haunted in a lighthouse or otherwise, I mean, as far as I know, uh, I've heard enough stories to believe in it. Like Mulder from the X-Files, I want to believe, <laughs> you know. Uh, so with with all of the people, the keepers and their families, Coast Guard personnel uh, who spent so much time uh, at light stations, living there, working there, it, it really does make sense to me that we can almost, you know, still feel them, feel their presence there. So if you call that haunted, then yes, I do believe that. Yeah. Well, what you're saying echoes a lot of what I think about it, too. And I, I like to say, you've probably heard me say it when, like at Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse, we have some stories there, things people have experienced. And people, visitors sometimes will ask, is, is this lighthouse haunted, really? And my usually usual answer to them uh, is that whether you believe in ghosts or not, or whatever you want to call it, um, the spirits of the keepers of the past are with us one way or another, either literally or figuratively. They are very much there. Which isn't creepy sounding to, I don't, to me or I don't to most people, just that the idea is, you're right, it's a nice idea and it doesn't have to be creepy, but it, it, it can be. <laughs> <laughs> it can be, it can be. Um, and uh, uh, Pat Heyer, our guest today, has some really interesting stories that I think people are going to enjoy. Yeah. So uh, to change the subject for a moment here, has anything interesting happened on the state lighthouse history? Yes, as a matter of fact, on the night of October 23rd, 1878, a hurricane skirted the New Jersey shore. Winds reached a peak of 84 miles per hour by the next morning. At Hereford Inlet Lighthouse, keeper Freeling Hewitt escaped with his family as the storm surge actually lifted the lighthouse off its foundation. Yeah, uh, that storm did a lot of damage from Cuba to New England. It's believed to be the worst storm in recorded history in the Baltimore, Washington, D.C. area. And in Pennsylvania, at least 700 buildings were destroyed and nearly 50 churches lost their steeples. So, Cindy, please help me tell everyone about our guest today, Patricia Heyer. Sure, Jeremy. Patricia Heyer is a history buff with an interest in coastal folklore as well as research in marine science. She has written extensively for both children and adults during her career. She co-authored Shark Attacks of the New Jersey Shore, A History, with her husband in 2020. In 2021, Shark Attacks of New York, A History, was released, as was Ghosts Along the Navasink and Shrewsbury Rivers. Pat is an avid reader, beachcomber, and animal rescue supporter. She lives on the Jersey Shore with her husband, Robert, and their rescue cat, Gracie. Pat's new book, Haunted Jersey Shore, Beaches, Boardwalks, and Lighthouses, was published by the History Press in August. In the book, she uncovers the eerie mystery that shroud many of the New Jersey Shore's iconic landmarks, including the lighthouses at Navasink, Cape May, Barnegat, Sandy Hook, and others. 
I had the pleasure of speaking with Pat Heyer a couple of weeks ago, so let's listen to that conversation now. Speaking today with Pat Heyer, who's the author of an excellent new book called Haunted Jersey Shore, Beaches, Boardwalks, and Lighthouses. I just happen to have a copy right here. Uh, it's really excellent. Uh, thank you so much for joining me today, Pat. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I'm pleased to be with you. Well, thanks again. So uh, before we get into some of the, the stories in the book, and of course, uh, there's other stories besides lighthouses. I mostly want to talk about the lighthouse stories today. But I'm wondering if uh, starting out, if you could maybe tell me a little bit more about your background. I uh, have read that you have written for both children and adults, right? Yes. And that also the coastal folklore is a special interest of yours. Uh, maybe you could uh, fill in a little bit more about that. Surely, yeah. I have written for both children and adults. Uh, for a long time, I wrote just for children. I was a special education teacher for many years. Oh. And back when I was a teacher, they didn't have materials for older children whose levels were lower. So I did a lot of that writing. And then after I took an early retirement, I wrote for children's magazines for a while. Okay. And then I got into the study of local history here, which I just think is phenomenal. Here along the Atlantic coast, we have the most exciting uh, local history, I think. And uh, so my interest in uh, writing history kind of bloomed or blossomed, I should say, into looking at the folklore. Because when you look at old archives and newspapers and those things, some of these stories, and I just put ghost stories and unexplained events and that sort of thing, just under the monocle of folklore, you know, mm -hmm. to make my life mm -hmm. easier. But you found them in newspapers because newspapers had a different function back then. They were more localized. And so if Aunt Mary went to visit somebody in Florida, everybody knew. And so when they had unusual experiences, uh, then that was also in the paper. And more and more, I found many of these inexplicable things interacting or co colliding, sorry about that, with the history. Many mm -hmm. of them were coming mm -hmm. from those historical events. So that's how I kind of started moving that direction and tying it into the history, which initially to me was the important part, was the history. But I, I wanted to give more flavor and more color to what was really happening at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that all makes perfect sense. And maybe you've already, uh, you definitely partly answered at least my, my next question, but uh, what specifically led you to write a book on the haunted Jersey shore? Well, I had written uh, two little books from here. I live in Monmouth County, New Jersey, which is, a, I don't know where you're from, but I'm up north on the East coast, just, just right underneath New York city. And I had been exploring our truly local uh, kinds of things. And uh, then I got picked up by History Press and wanted to expand to a little wider audience, of course. So I looked at the shore and started you know, doing the research on things that had happened all along the coast. 
And as I just mentioned, as I looked, found the old newspapers in these little towns and that sort of thing, you found the stories. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating. Oh, it sure is. Uh, and uh, I, you mentioned uh, your interest in the, the, the general history as well. And I, I really appreciate the fact that your book includes plenty of history uh, to kind of uh, give context for the ghost stories, uh, kind of uh, to kind of back up the ghost stories. Uh, I remember I was remembering that years ago, uh, quite a few years ago, I was interviewing a woman by the name of Anna Merle Snow. She was the wife of the popular maritime historian Edward Rowe Snow. I don't know if that name means anything to you. He was yes. very popular in New England, where I grew up in the Boston area. And uh, Mrs. Snow told me that her husband liked to tell people about ghost stories and uh, sea serpents and all these these sort of you know stories that maybe fall into the category of paranormal kind of as a hook to get them interested in the history. Uh, That's remember, right. Yeah, she said something like, I, remember, I can hear her saying it in my mind. She said, they were having fun, but before they knew it, they were learning history. Uh, so I'm, I'm just wondering if you have any, any comment on that. Absolutely. I mean, you really hit the nail on the head there because in fact, I have to be very careful when I do speaking engagements because I get so into the history that I can spend too much time on history and not enough time on the folklore and the stories. And again, my, my really love, my love is the history. And I think it's the perfect way to do it. And uh, we are history press. We do do history here. Yes. Know? Yeah. Yeah. I've written books for the history press too. So I know uh, obviously, obviously from the, the name, you can assume the, uh, the emphasis on, right. is on history. So I think you've struck a good balance there uh, with a, okay. a good amount of history and the, and the other stories as well. And they, they work hand in hand, as you say. So uh, how, how did you go about your research for this book? Well, wow. Well, as I said, <laughs> yeah. you, you have to look I took a look at the geography of the state mm -hmm. and started reading general books on Jersey Shore history. And then I had to just work my way down into archives of, of the seacoast counties and, and look in all those little newspapers, some of which aren't even there anymore, but thank goodness now many of them are online. And you go cross-eyed, but you study these newspapers and you find these accounts. Plus, many of our towns embrace the folklore. They really do. It, I mean, the actual basic local history was easy. But getting the folklore that, you know, coordinates with it and being meaningful, you know, was a little different. But I love finding old, old newspapers, you know. And in the old days, you used to have that microfiche stuff. Remember, that was sure. brilliant. That was a treat. But at least now, many of them you can get online. There's services, you know, that you could subscribe to. And yep. it works out very, very well that way. And you know, yeah. I always have much more material than I could possibly cover because mm -hmm. it's, it's all there. Yeah. I know from personal experience with the online sources, that's a as you say, it's a tr tremendous boon to, uh, to research for for people like it us, um, but it, uh, it requires some creative searching, <laughs> I find. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, you just can't search for, say, Barnegat Lighthouse and find everything you might want Absolutely. to find. I would be remiss also, I mentioned it. My husband, uh, he's a marine biologist, he just retired, but he's a very good researcher. Mm -hmm. 
and mm -hmm. he would bring me things say look what i found you know so he did a lot of digging and mining for me yeah of those kinds of stories because he's really good at that okay uh i was going to ask you a little bit later but since you brought up your husband let me ask you now i understand uh, you and he have uh co-written a couple of books on shark attacks maybe you've co-written other books as well but i saw yes, the, the ones on the shark attacks how, how did how did those come about how do you end up, end up writing those he researched the uh new jersey shark attack file mm -hmm. which was uh to collect the encounters not necessarily attacks but encounters that humans have with sharks and we put them in chronological order and at the time i was trying to think what am i going to you know write next and what was i looking at and so we came up with this idea like let's research it so i took his research which was real raw data kind of thing of who what when where why and then took a look again at the history what was going on at the time who were the people uh giving those people faces uh and also the towns looking at what occurs when there's a shark encounter to the economy mm -hmm. you know the sea town a little seashore town will empty the hotel's empty you know if somebody saw a shark so there was there was lots for me to find as far as from the historical aspect of it mm -hmm. but we combined mm -hmm. that and uh, we had offered it that was the first thing we offered to history press uh, and we've been with them since yeah. and i guess i should say he the document he had included we he works from the, the standpoint of what's called the new york bite that body of water between new york and the jersey shore there which is really just one you know little mini ocean mm -hmm. but it was too big the content including the new york attacks was too much material for one book for history press so they did it into two volumes that's why there's two volumes for the shark series okay you say new york bite i think that's b-i-g-h-t is that right yes yeah as opposed to b-i-t-e yeah, that's what i is, use anyway yeah, yeah people, I in case anyway. people listening might think it's b-i-t-e and somehow related to the shark attacks but no it's yeah. absolutely because <laughs> i wanted to use that in the title and the editor said no no people don't know that word well enough you know we need to <laughs> yeah Speaking of this, I just watched uh, Jaws the other night uh, for probably about the 50th time. So the subject's oh, been yeah, on my mind a little bit. There's a part where, of course, Roy Scheider is the chief uh, there in, in Jaws is flipping through a book on shark attacks. And uh, I, when I was watching that, I was thinking, uh, I haven't seen your book books on shark attacks. I was wondering if they're, if, if they're a little bit like that. Probably not as far as. No, we look at it more from a conservation point. Mm -hmm because they're very important predators in the ocean. Yes. You know, they help keep that balance. And uh, we have, we, when we do presentations, we are very heavy into that approach to it. And again, as Excellent. encounters, and most of these encounters were really the human's fault. You know, yeah, there's some provoked attacks, but there were a whole lot of unprovoked. Yeah. You know, stick a shark with the stick, he's, Yep. he's gonna re he's gonna react you know of course of course it's it's a, you're you're in their territory basically and i'm Absolutely. glad you take that approach i'm really Good glad you take that approach the um you know the movie jaws and other movies like it i think have made sharks to be uh, to be villains and uh giving people mistaken ideas uh about what they are and uh obviously as, as you said they're important predators in the ocean and uh, we need to protect them
But isn't it interesting that as fearful as people claim to be about sharks, millions of dollars are spent every year on all sorts of tchotchkes, Mm -hmm. T-shirts, little dolls, whatever you want, you know. That's why one of of the things I use in my talks is like sharks and, and ghosts are not so far apart. They really aren't because we're, we claim to be afraid of them, yet we spend lots of money on them. I have like yeah. 10 or 12 things that I use. So yeah. it's, it works. Yeah, yeah. There's that uh, combination of uh, fear and fascination in both cases. Absolutely. For sure. Uh, so there are, of course, in your, your new book, uh, there are uh, other places covered besides lighthouses. Yeah. The, as the title says, there are beaches and boardwalks of the uh, New Jersey shore. But of course, this is a podcast about lighthouses, so I mostly want to talk <laughs> about lighthouses. So uh, let's start with America's oldest standing lighthouse, Sandy Hook Lighthouse, oh, uh, at the south side of the entrance in New York Harbor. Oh, okay. I was going to ask you later what your favorite New Jersey lighthouse is. So you've answered that That's question. That's my favorite. I yeah. think that it's my favorite because, again, they all have really fascinating histories. Mm-hmm. But for me, uh, what to me, it's just our, our little white you know, a uh, lighthouse about four or five miles from where I live was here before the revolution. And it wasn't built by a, commu- a uh, municipality or anything. A group of businessmen from New York, ship owners, uh, were trying to raise money to put this lighthouse there because as the ships were coming up the coast, which they do to get into the harbor, again, there's just a channel in there. They were getting mm-hmm. a lot of silt there. They they needed something because they were losing cargo and that sort of thing. So they tried to raise the money and they didn't get as much as they wanted. So um, they were like doing little uh, sell share kind of things for a while. Then they finally had a lottery, like a 50-50 kind of thing, till they raised enough money to put it up there. So it was a commercial kind of thing. But when the Re- American Revolution came along, the patriots realized that the British were coming and they were going to, that they were going to take the lighthouse. There was no way of, you know, so they tried to knock it down and they couldn't. Mm -hmm. So the Brits came of course, and they held it till uh, 1783, at which time the Patriots were shoving them back into New York. And now uh, the British didn't want us to have the lighthouse. So they shot mortar at it and it still didn't knock it down and they had to leave in time. So there is a little mark, uh, along the side from the mortar from the from during the American Revolution, so I think that's one of the reasons I really love that lighthouse. That it really withstood both sides trying to knock the thing down, and it, mm-hmm. it didn't succeed. Yeah, I, and, I, and, I uh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, that's okay. It's it's just a night. It's in the national park there now, and uh, it's a great place, you know, for local local families to go. It has a great stories from World War II when they were, you know, they brought back some of the troops and New York was, Harbor was too busy. So they started dumping them off on Sandy Hook. Mm-hmm. Uh, hmm. So they were actually camped out there in tents around it, which must've been like a cool, cool site, you know? Yeah. 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 I talk about Sandy Hook Lighthouse sometimes in my lectures because I talk a lot about Boston Light, which I uh, have had some personal involvement with. And of course, Boston Light and Boston Harbor being the oldest light station in America, 1716. But there the British succeeded in blowing up the the first lighthouse. 
Uh, so it had to be rebuilt in 1783, which makes Sandy Hook the oldest standing lighthouse yeah. tower in the country. Yeah, so I yeah. always make that distinction. You have the oldest light station at Boston Harbor and the oldest, <laughs> right. uh, oldest lighthouse at Sandy Hook. I had never heard about ghost stories at Sandy Hook before, before your book. Uh, really? Uh, well, I don't live near there. I live in the New Hampshire seacoast here. And somehow I had missed uh, hearing about ghost stories there, but you would figure any place with a, a long history, long and, and very involved history like that has would have to have some stories. Could you maybe uh, talk a little bit about what you see as a couple of the sort of highlights of those those stories for Sandy Hook? Sandy Hook, I think the strongest spiritual movement there is uh, comes from the American Revolution, mm -hmm. again. Uh, they have accounts, again, of young uh, Patriot soldiers, uh, some of the women that carry the, the whale oil up those stairs that are seen, spirits, they say, are there. Uh, there's such a bevy at Sandy Hook. And they're also very interrelated with the beach. Mm -hmm. Because when Sandy Hook was built, it was on the tip, but now the current's bringing uh, so much sand that the uh, it's not as far from the tip anymore. So uh, it, it just has such a wide, one after another of, in, they're more individual stories, I think, there than at some of the other lighthouses. Okay. Yeah. One of your, you have a chapter on the beach itself. I think it's the, the first part of the book. Uh, you call it a, a spit full of ghosts. Yes. The beach at beach at Sandy Hook. Uh, maybe do you want to give a couple of specifics what we're talking about with those stories? Okay. I think in my mind, it was very hard for me to uh, separate the lighthouse from mm -hmm. Sandy Hook, you know, from the spit, because again, we had, uh, the business with Huddy, Captain Huddy during the American Revolution. Uh, there was uh, supposedly Captain Kidd, everyone says Captain Kidd buried their treasure there, uh, but they have stories of there. Uh, Met Penelope Smith, the first woman that was uh, born, yeah, born in, in uh, yeah, she was born on the on, uh, Sandy Hook, uh, living there, uh, as well as, the uh, specters of some of the immigrants who along the shore uh, died in shipwrecks, which was such a big thing in the 1880s, of those spirits coming on the beach. Some are haunted. There's, uh, they're roaming the beach looking, you know, for something. Um, there's a story of the, uh, the young couple. They're always looking for someone. And then there was a, more recently, 50s or 60s, I forget, uh, there was a murder on the beach, and she wasn't found for a very, very long time. And mm -hmm. supposedly, she's still haunting those. But there's the memorial to the uh, six, six or seven British troops who froze to death. Their spirits are said to roam that area around uh, the memorial uh, on the bay side. Also, at the, where the Nike base was, images of the men practicing the fire, the Nikes later on. Yeah, interesting. Um, let's move on uh, just a, a fairly short distance to so the Navasink Twin Lights, uh, which I think <laughs> is a, 
Yeah, yeah. I uh, visited both on one trip a few years ago. And um, uh, it's a really unique place. I think a, a lot of Lighthouse fans, people who are listening to this podcast are very familiar with that. There's no place else that looks anything like the uh, the Twin Lights at Navisync. Um, and uh, I remember one the time, day I was there a few years ago, there were turkey vultures circling above the, the lights. It kind of added to the... Sure. The, the feel of the place that kind of, I would say, sort of spooky feel, but the buildings themselves are kind of gothic looking, or it, it, it just looks like a place that should have some some ghost stories attached to it. I uh, just wonder if you have any comments on the uh, kind of the look and the the ambience of uh, the Twin Lights. That that's a Twin really Lights. interesting lighthouse. Uh, that's not the first one that was there. Mm -hmm. They had one, a wooden structure, which there were a lot of those for a long time. Uh, but I think it was 1861, they said it's not going to survive the winter, it was so bad. So they they started the big castle looking one that we see uh, today. And uh, as you said, for people that are not from the area, it's a wonderful place to go because you can look out over Sandy Hook, look into New York Harbor, and you can take a picnic, and they have a museum, which is lovely. Yes. What's interesting about this particular lighthouse is they make less of an effort to discuss their ghostly inhabitants. Mm -hmm. they, uh, they really prefer to advertise and promote, I guess I should have said, uh, via their historical importance, uh, which I can appreciate. Uh, that's also, that got the first Fresnel lens. It was supposed to be for Sandy Hook. It was too big. It wouldn't fit. Mm -hmm. So they brought it on mm -hmm. up to uh, Sandy Hook, and they that made it uh, well, certainly much. Well, you understand that how it promotes the, makes the light go so much farther. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's really had quite a history. Of course, going up that little road is a trip all in itself. If you remember that little narrow road, mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean that's mm -hmm. an adventure all of its own getting up there. But once you're there, it's terrific. It is. It is. And speaking of Fresnel lens, now the Fresnel lens that's on display there, uh, there's a little building that houses the, yes. the Fresnel lens that's that's uh, you get to see. It's a first order lens. That's not the original one you're referring to, right? No. That was that was quite a bit no. older. But I'll just yeah. give you a little quick background on that on that lens. I grew up in the Boston area in Lynn, Massachusetts, and I used to go to the Boston Museum of Science as a kid. That lens that's now on display at the Nevising Twin Lights was at the Boston Museum of Science when I was a kid. It was away from uh -huh. New Jersey for, for quite a few years and then ended uh -huh. up going, going back there. So that, that was definitely the first lighthouse lens I ever saw in my life. And I think it helped spark my interest in lighthouses. I just, I didn't quite, under, when I was a little kid, and fully understand what this thing, giant, giant thing was, but I sure knew it's it was huge. interesting. Yeah. It's yeah. huge. Yeah, it's like 12 feet tall. Mm hmm. Yeah. And one of your stories you tell in the, the book actually relates to that lens uh, and uh, kind of a mysterious person or something oh, taking yeah. care of it. Oh, the guy. Yes. The spirit. Yeah. The guardian. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The story that was retold to me was uh, this local man who would come up to the lighthouse and he loved that lens. And it is. It's a cool thing to look at all these little prisons and everything. And he encounters this man polishing and touching and doing sorts of things. And he was very aware that they were very particular. They don't let people handle it or manipulate it in any way. 
And uh, he tries to tell other people, you know, the staff, and they're like, you know, there's nobody like that. And so uh, over a period of time, he's come to, re to accept that this guardian goes and sort of watches over the lens. And it's a little separate building, so no one messes with it. And, uh, yeah, he was very adamant about that. That, that was an interview. Somebody or something that actually polishes the lens is that is that right uh, or kind of yes in the story he polishes little the lens little mm -hmm. pieces little prisms yep. one by one he comes through and at certain times he is visible you can see him wow i wonder if he uh took care of it when it was at the boston museum of science as well well that's interesting <laughs> yeah yeah i hadn't heard about that at the time but i don't know but that's that's uh an unusual uh you know, I've never heard of a story quite like that before, where an actual lens separate from the lighthouse has its own ghost story. It has but, its own story. Uh, it's fascinating. Anything else about Navisync before we we move on? Something uh, that stands out for you with that? If not, that's okay. I do know they, they, they have a uh, cannon out front, which uh, they couldn't figure out for the longest time where it came from because when they were doing this, the big, you know, mortar one that's, th that's there now, they found it and they think it's an, an old Dutch cannon, possibly mm. a ship's cannon. Uh, and they have that on display now in the front facing the bay. Uh, but they haven't really come up with too much more about it. Yeah. They have mm. a nice display in the museum of from Marconi because he did work there. And they did a lot of research up there on radar. So they have yeah. a nice little museum. There. They really do. I tell, I've told people that a number of times over the years. How I think it's one of the, the best uh, lighthouse museums around, really. Uh, it's very nice. Yeah. It really is. I was very impressed when I was there. So uh, going on to, to Seagirt Lighthouse, which is a beautiful building, beautiful Victorian Sweet little building. building. Yeah, there's a, a few uh, around the country that are kind of kind of similar to that, but it's 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 just gorgeous. And you wrote a, an interesting story in the book involving the first keeper at Seagirt Lighthouse. Abraham Wolf. Yes. Yeah, I found that really fascinating. Do you want to maybe just say a little bit about the, the basics of that story? Well, he was uh, one the first keeper and was there quite a long time, was very instrumental in um dealing with uh the property around the lighthouse in addition to that um and in the well now it's, it's part of the uh the museum area but during world war ii when the story took place they were using it for all sorts of things because it was being used uh you know as as a uh, as a guard post so um the story which more than one person told a very similar story about having seen what looked like someone trying to get access to the building and then later coming down the stairs and realizing that it was the image of, of this keeper. And that's not uncommon in a lot of the folklore of keepers appearing over and over again, many, mm -hmm. many years after, you know, they're gone. Yes. And Seagirt, of course, you know, was kind of built because from Sandy Hook or Navisink, you, you could the lights were too far apart 
because the next one down there was Barnegat at the time. Mm -hmm. It was too far. It wasn't another light. And there is an inlet there that's really kind of rugged, has a lot of uh, shoals and things. So they had put that little lighthouse there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Speaking of uh, possible spirits of keepers, like you just did, uh, there's a lot of examples of that. And, uh, you know, oh. I've, I've researched these stories and done some lectures on them. And, and that that is probably, as you well know, probably the most common form of lighthouse whether you want to call them ghost stories or, or whatever yes. you want to refer to them. But like, for instance, right near me here, at Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse, uh, 15 minutes from my home here, uh, there was a keeper there named Joshua Card for 35 years until he was 86 years old in 1909. Uh, nothing particular, particularly dramatic about his death or anything. He didn't actually die there, but still there have been sightings. And I'm one of the many people who's heard a voice in the lighthouse that I can't explain. Mm -hmm. Uh, so a lot of people think he's still keeping watch there because some of the sightings have matched, you know, what he what he looked like. So uh, I have feelings about that, about why keepers might still be hanging out at these places. But I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about that. Why would a lighthouse keeper uh, not leave a, a lighthouse even after his death? Wow. Well, I th a lighthouse keeper had to be a very special individual because they were on duty 24-7. Many times they were isolated from any kind of municipality. Uh, they weren't overpaid ever, so they were just making ends meet. Mm -hmm. they, were, they were carrying whale oil or kerosene, and they were keeping this thing lit you know, 24-7, and they were cleaning, and they were taking care of things. And I think that it's the kind of job that you go into also because you care very much about what that lighthouse, what its function is. I mean, they care very much about the, net, the maritime traffic. You know, they really felt in their heart that if there was a shipwreck right there, mm -hmm. they would have been like, responsible because they, they were there to protect you know, the, the cargo and the people's going by. So I think they they had a real attachment to the sea, uh, to the lighthouse. And, and as you well know, people love lighthouses. They get very attached to them, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so that, I, that doesn't surprise me that the keeper wouldn't stay, would, yeah. would be there forever. Right. And it's like in Bar, I just mentioned Barnegat, uh, which is by favorite story uh, from 1928, uh, or no, I'm sorry, 1924, 1928, his name was Andrew Applegate, was in, in uh, Barnegat for a long time. Mm -hmm. We died, but again, that's not the ghost you see there. He got caught in a fishing net and he drowned. However, four years before, he was up in the tower cleaning and he heard his wife screaming bloody murder comes running down, grabs his shotgun, and there was an intruder. And as they say, trying to have his way with Mrs. Uh, Applegate. So he chased him. And here's where the story gets strange. Supposedly, and I found this in a newspaper, he shot the guy four times with a shotgun in the back. Hmm. Now, to me, either he was a really bad shot, you know, or something. So I'm not sure how accurate that part is. But the man did survive. 
Keeper Applegate was brought up in charges hmm. for attempting using a firearm. Yeah. And the trial, which lasted like two days later, he was acquitted and sent back to the lighthouse to go to work. Mm-hmm. And he worked for four more years before he drowned in a fishing net. But the apparition, which is seen quite frequently, is what's called a residual. It just keeps appearing and it doesn't seem to interact with anybody else is running across the front of the lighthouse is the ghostly figure of Applegate chasing this other man who's running until the other man gets to where the dunes and the the tree line is and disappears and it will repeat again two or three times before it totally vanishes, Mm -hmm. which I think is just absolutely fascinating. Oh yeah, it really is. We may have had something like that at Portsmouth Harbor Light, where supposedly a woman is seen walking uh, sort of into a, through a wall, a fort wall sure. right next to the lighthouse. Supposedly people have seen that. I haven't seen it, so I can't really say too much about it. But uh, I've heard that the type of thing that you're talking about, the residual, you know, things repeating residual, over and over yeah. again. Yeah. Another thing you wrote about uh, re- uh, regarding Barnegat Light in the book is the possible spirit of a very famous person in lighthouse history. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, General Meade? Yes. Oh, absolutely. And that's, that's another thing, which again, I I love the history of this. Uh, He was a Naval architect, I believe, a Marine architect. Mm -hmm. And when the civil war came, they made him go to the battlefield, which he really didn't have a stomach for. He didn't want to fight wars. He loved, designing the lighthouses and he was so happy when he got the first order to work on on Barnegat because this, this was his true joy you know and he did a lot of the work on down along the Jersey Shore on uh, some of the others uh, because he took it seriously and he loved the lighthouses so it, in that sense to me that would make sense he might come back and you know look at his work again and see how it's withstanding time you know mm-hmm yeah yeah that's that's fascinating i always when i think of george mead i always think of this there's a portrait of a photograph of him you probably know the photograph i'm talking about where he's sitting apparently in a studio it's a really beautiful studio photograph of him to me he looks exactly like wayne wheeler our listeners a lot of would know who he is he wayne wheeler was the founder of the u.s lighthouse society in 1984 retired now living in north carolina but I swear uh, he's the reincarnation of George Meade based on that picture. <laughs> <He may well laughs> be. I don't know if Wayne's listening, but he's, he's probably heard that before. <laughs> but uh, anything else about Barnegat Light that, that stands out? Uh, you've talked about the, you have it under the heading of the uh, revenge, uh, ghost revenge there. You talked about that story. Yes, that was the chief story. I was sort of, it has, yeah. again, a, a wide variety of, of sounds, of, uh, I think that's the one where the hand is seen coming down the, the uh, railing of the uh, spiral staircase. Uh, a lot of what I would call classic uh, ghostly kind of messages, the, the sounds, the echoes, uh, laughter, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that seems to, this footsteps on the stairs seems to be a pretty common one. Is that something you've run into? Yeah, I, I think that in all of them. Yeah, they all talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Because I think there was some, there is something about the, the metal stairs that kind of echoes when you go up and down them. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, we've had people say they've heard that at Portsmouth Harbor Light when definitely nobody is there. So I don't want to give everything away. Obviously, I want people to get the book. And there's a lot more detail in these stories we're talking about, too. But you also have chapters on Absecon Lighthouse in uh, Atlantic mm -hmm. City and Cape May Lighthouse. Uh, without going into tremendous deal, detail, anything you want to touch on related to those two lighthouses? Well, those two claim to be, they kind of vie for the honor of being the most haunted lighthouses in New Jersey. Okay. And both communities absolutely embrace this. Mm -hmm. uh, ghosts are big business yes. in both Absecon uh, yeah. and especially Cape May. I mean, that is big business. They do tours. They you know, do little lectures, particularly this time of year and coming into October. Uh, there's a whole array of, of programs going on down there. And they also run the gamut of different kinds of apparitions and mm -hmm. ghostly, you know, things that have happened, you know. Uh, one of the things when I was covering the different, not just the lighthouses, uh, the beaches and the boardwalks also, I was also trying to give the reader, when I chose the story that I kind of uh, enhanced a bit and talked more about, gave it more in depth is what I should say. Mm -hmm. uh, I wanted mm -hmm. to include some of the different kinds of things. And that's why I included uh, in those two, the the one is where the uh, the poor Gabe May, the, the, and he was, I forget his name. The keeper was in the tower and they hit by electricity and they had an injury and he became so panicked about lightning that he would just evacuate the place whenever a storm was coming and now the ghostly story is that when that weather occurs he's out there trying literally to push the lightning away from from the tower uh, which is interesting and the other one is uh also a less frequent kind of ghost story is that of the camera shy so to speak ghost that uh the ghost that can't be photographed mm-hmm Hmm. He's there. You take someone's picture, and when you uh, look at it, the old days used to develop it. He's not there. Yeah. What about the opposite kind of thing? Where uh, do you know of cases where people take just you know kind of pictures people take at lighthouses, whether it's outside the lighthouse or inside a lighthouse when they're visiting, and something shows up in the photo that didn't, they didn't think was there at the time it was taken? Has have you run into cases like that? I have not run into that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Only see uh, run into the idea of uh, it not showing up when when you look at the image, whether it's on an iPhone or the old camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any any photographic evidence in in general that you know about with these these lighthouses with this sort of thing? Just is there anything people have captured that's of interest like that? They're, most of them are very old stories. You're finding less of those now. Mm -hmm. which, you know, gives rise to, is it a camera issue? So yeah. that I think is a little more questionable than any, anything else that you talk about when you talk about the hauntings mm -hmm. uh, at the lighthouses. Yeah, I agree. I know there's a lot of talk about orbs and photographs, and I think there's a lot of possible explanation for those. Right. I, yeah. There's just too many variables with some of those things that, you can't always include them. 
Yeah. So let me just ask you, uh, we've, we've touched on a lot of different stories. There's a lot more stories in the book. Is there anything that we haven't touched on yet that anything sort of, uh, you might think might, uh, uh, kind of grab, uh, the attention of uh, people who might want to read the book, anything we haven't touched on yet you'd like to mention. I would just reiterate how truly critical lighthouses have been, um, to our growth as a nation, whether it's up there in Boston, where you are, or down here, because uh, for us in Jersey, they had that little highway of, of water leading into New York. New York really would have had more difficulty developing into a commercial and financial center if they hadn't been there to get control of navigation because it was much later that we got GPS or even triangulation, and all those things. So the strategic positioning and to me, the understanding that they're much more than a pretty face, yeah. you know, a lighthouse is beautiful. Everybody goes and gets married and all that takes wonderful photographs, but it's, it's a much more than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and again, uh, you know, I really appreciate the fact that you've woven the, the history together with the, uh, the paranormal stories in the book. And speaking of that, I have to ask this. Have you had any paranormal experiences yourself? Yeah, I had one uh, mm -hmm. some years ago. And this is sort of like that photographic thing. A friend of mine uh, had a, a child who was uh, mentally retarded. And uh, she was Down syndrome. And the church was very important to this family. And they wanted her to have their, like the little girls doing their first communion kind of thing. And it, the church was not helping. And she really had to fight and fight and fight. And I used to help the little girls study the stuff she was doing. So finally they agreed that she could take her little holy communion. Mm -hmm. So we go to the church on this very cloudy day and they did they all look like little angels the little girls in their little white dresses and flowers in their hair and everything and we kept hoping it wouldn't rain they go in and they do it and they, and they came back out of the church and we're all standing around it was dark and all of a sudden this beam of light came down and shone on this little girl's head and she had a little flower and she she really looked sweet and i grabbed my camera and her dad grabbed the camera and we took pictures of her Oh, this is beautiful. We have this. And when we, and this was the day of cameras, uh, the butterfly was not there. Neither in my picture or in her father's picture. Wow. But hmm. there were eight of us who saw this butterfly in this girl's head. So you Plus in the house we used to live in, uh, it was a small house. And my husband would be downstairs. You'd hear someone walking upstairs. There's no one there. We go up, nothing you know, is wrong. I had a very eccentric neighbor who, who, uh, she, she had boundless energies, but she was a very unusual person. And she came into the house and I was telling her about this. And she said, for heaven's sakes, Pat, she walked in, she looked up and she goes, you're dead. Get out of here. This is not your house. And we never had it again. Mm -hmm. It was, it was very bizarre. I've heard of that before. You uh, tell them to leave and often they'll leave. Oh, they leave. I think they left, yeah. 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 
Well, that's really interesting. And uh, I'm sure you've had the same experience when you, you probably, do you speak to groups sometimes? Do you do lectures on these subjects on occasion? I'm just wondering. Um, uh, mostly I'm talking about the books. Yeah. But an interesting thing, when, when I first started doing them, uh, in my head, everyone was interested in the history. You know, even though I had the ghost stories. And I have found very quickly that about half the audience liked the history and a growing half liked the ghosts. Yeah. And then I started getting emails of ghost stories and, you know, they would start, mm -hmm. you know, if they couldn't tell them to me, then they would email them to me. Yeah. And that's when I realized that there was a, a bigger market and a bigger interest that people really wanted to read about these, yeah. these things. Yeah. So I have to be careful when I go to an audience to know which audience I'm talking to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Often there's a, a mix, as I'm sure you've experienced. But, uh, you know, I've I've done talks about these things and often people will come up at the end and, and tell them they might not want to say it out loud in front of the whole audience, but they'll come up and tell me yes. a story, something they've experienced. That's right. So many people have, have stories along these lines. Once a little girl came up to me and said that she said she was scared because she thought her house was was haunted and um i tried to talk to her and tell her i, I just find it interesting and not so scary but um but it was a little awkward <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but 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 really interesting again uh people seem to have a need to talk about these things if they've experienced them so let me ask you are you working on anything else that are do you have any plans to work on anything else that involves lighthouses in any way Perhaps. Uh, well, I am doing a uh, an adaptation to this book for children, for the oh, children's okay. division. Speaking of that, so I'm working yeah. on I'm working on that right now, and then I'm I looking into uh, looking at some of the more haunted places along the shore, uh, not isolating it necessarily to you know, just the beaches or boardwalks, but everything's from houses to hotels to uh, wherever I'm finding the stories and really in the preliminary stages of that. So I'm not sure. real sure what direction that's going to go yet. Yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like you definitely have an interest in, in lighthouses, which is great to hear. Well, I, I imagine that pre predates your work on this book, I'm sure. Yes, yes, certainly yeah. does. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, that's 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 obvious. Let me ask you one final question for bonus points, okay? The question is, <laughs> what, what what was your favorite thing about working on your book, Haunted Jersey Shore, Beaches, Boardwalks, and Lighthouses? Our favorite thing or things, aspects of working on it? I think I really love when history and the folklore really collide when they're when i've explored the history of a spot and i come across something that is right out of a specific event or a specific person uh when i found it in a newspaper when i'm sure because you know with an interview people could tell you anything they could send just all sorts of stories but you know you hold the newspaper in your hand where they talked about these things, you know. Uh, and also, I like giving faces and color 
uh, to a situation so that people will visualize as they read about history and, and make it come alive to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I was thinking, as you're saying that, I'm thinking how a lot of this is like detective work when you find, you get a story and you link it to the actual history. Uh, it's, uh, it's really like uh, hunting down the, the connections and the, the, uh, you know, the path that story has, has taken over the years. So yeah. Pat Heyer, I, I want to thank you so much. This is uh, fascinating. And I, I really recommend your book. I think I'm holding it up thank on the right you place. So much. You're very welcome. Haunted Jersey Shore, Beaches, Boardwalks and Lighthouses published very recently by the History Press, right? It what came, came out in the spring? August. 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 Yeah, it just came out. Uh, uh, just several weeks uh, before we're speaking here. Uh, so I, I thank you so much for spending this time with me. It's fascinating. I hope maybe we can do it again sometime. Thank you, Pat. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Stay well. The book Haunted Jersey Shore, Beaches, Boardwalks, and Lighthouses is available from Amazon and other online booksellers. The next two episodes of Lighthearted will feature a two-part interview with four people at Doubling Point Lighthouse in Maine, including Karen McLean, who was the last female Coast Guard lighthouse keeper in the country. It was a fun and interesting conversation. And I should also mention my good friend, Bob Trapani, Jr., Executive Director of the American Lighthouse Foundation, will be co-hosting those two episodes. The Swiss psychiatrist and psychoanalyst Carl Jung once said, quote, I shall not commit the fashionable stupidity of regarding everything I cannot explain as a fraud, unquote. So happy Halloween to everybody out there. And as always, to all our regular listeners and our new ones, thank you so much for listening and keep a good light. Oh, in my heart, I'm gonna let it shine.